SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host as always, Brian Stone, joined by Louisiana writer Matt Miguez. Uh, Matt, looking at the way that week three in the Sunbelt went, what was your big takeaway from this past weekend of games? Down goes Goliath, man. I mean, you know, App State, and you know, we'll dive into it more in depth later, but App State has been the Goliath of the Sun Belt for as long as they've been in the conference. Mm-hmm. And and to see them go down the way that they did this early, I mean, that that was probably my biggest takeaway from the weekend as a major surprise early on. I think my, uh, to kind of expand on what you said, and uh, we can talk more about this as we kind of talk about you guys' game against Georgia State this past weekend. I mean, my biggest takeaway is App and Louisiana both kind of look beatable at this point. Like they don't look like they're as, neither team looks as dominant as they absolutely were last year through this past weekend of games. Now that we could say later on, Louisiana was in kind of like a, a trap game letdown spot type thing. And maybe they just run the table through everybody. But the way that, you know, you said it app lost to, to Marshall on the road, you guys barely were able to come back and beat Georgia state. I mean, I'm not saying the Sun Belt's totally wide open, but I do think the talent disparity between those two teams and everyone else may have shrunk a little bit between last season and this season. Oh, God, yeah. Um, you know, two two weeks in, I, I would I would say that the Sun Belt's just about wide open. Mm-hmm. I mean, Coastal Carolina's off to a 2-0 start, two dominant wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Troy looked good against Middle Tennessee, Texas State. I mean, yeah, they're one and two, but their two losses were to dominant opponents and close games. Yeah, they've had some good they had some good showings the past two weeks before this week where they got a win. But yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's anybody's game right now. Absolutely. So you kind of mentioned them. Let's get into the first game of this past weekend. Uh, Friday night, Coastal Carolina uh, hosted Campbell. Uh, Campbell was uh, fresh coming off of a one point uh, loss to Georgia Southern. Uh, As you know, I don't want to bring my fandom into this game because it really has no part in it. But as a Georgia Southern fan watching this game, it was a little disheartening to see how clearly better Coastal Carolina was than Campbell and how more explosive they are on the offensive side of the ball. It was, it was just kind of disheartening. And I understand 33 players out from last week, but Coastal just looked like head and shoulders better than this Campbell team. Yeah, there, there's no question about it. Uh, you know, I, I predicted it early on when we did the Coastal Carolina previews. I think Grayson McCall was going to be, I thought Grayson McCall would be the, the starting quarterback and so far two games in he's put on two fantastic performances yeah i think i think between guys like mccall and uh desmond trotter for south alabama i think there's a there's a pretty bright future in the Sun Belt as far as young quarterback play goes yeah, um no, no question i think you could extend that to a couple other people here and there but those two seem to be the two that have really shown out I mean, some of the throws McCall was making in this game, I mean, were like excellent. Like the touchdown pass that he threw to Javon Haley um, in the back of back corner of the end zone uh, that put them up 21 to three, I thought was was I mean, it was almost like Sunbelt edition Aaron Rodgers with the placement and everything. Oh, yeah. and, and he's shown, you know, the ability to kind of uh, be elusive and move his feet and uh, be able to pick up some yards. I mean, he, this is what this team was missing last year, was consistent quarterback play, and you throw a, a dynamic passer and with the ability to move his feet, and Coastal Carolina could go to a completely other level, even within the Sun Belt, within out-of-conference slates. 
I, I think Coastal Carolina is dangerous this year, especially in the East where, you know, we, we mentioned it, App just picked up a loss for the first time in almost a full calendar year. Uh, so, I, I mean, look out for the Chanticleers, man. Yeah, I mean, like, like we said, Grayson McCall is probably one of the best young quarterbacks in the conference. C.J. Marable has proved himself year in and year out as a dominant rusher in, in the Sun Belt as well. And then, you know, if you go to the defensive side of the ball, Silas Kelly had just an insane performance Friday night. You know, eight tackles, two sacks. Uh, Taron Jackson added in five tackles as well. C.J. Brewer with seven. So, I mean, defensively, Coastal looks to be pretty dominant. Uh, and then, you know, with the offensive weapons that I previously mentioned, yeah, I mean, they, they could be a serious contender in the East this year. Well, the th- the thing that was tough about them last year is it, when you watch them from game to game, they almost seem to lack an offensive identity. Like you knew that um, Jamie uh, Chadwell and those guys, they wanted to run the ball with CJ Marable, but from week to week, you couldn't track what they were trying to do. It was almost like their game plan changed with the team they were playing, but sometimes it worked and sometimes it failed miserably so to see them kind of be able to consistently be able to throw the ball uh, I think it'll really open up the running game down the road and it looks like you know from from the numbers here Coastal Carolina is it's not just CJ Marable like they've got a couple other rushers in Shamari Jones Reese White uh, Baden Pinson who can all kind of tote the rock for that team so it's not all on one guy anymore it, it they can really spread it out and, and kind of get production from all areas of the of the offense yeah and and that's that's just freaky you know uh on on my UL podcast region review we spoke today with with Danny Reed who's the Georgia Southern play-by-play guy and you know he just dove in on how important it is that you guys are getting Wesley Kennedy back this weekend mm-hmm. and how he just adds that extra level of versatility to what's already a pretty dangerous offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in, anytime you have multiple guys that can attack you, that's for, for especially for from a defensive standpoint, that that's a scary thing to line up against. For sure. Uh, and, you know, a week off of, like I said, uh, barely coming up short against Georgia Southern Campbell. Yikes. What, an offensive performance that was nothing to write home about. I mean, obviously, Coastal's defense played very well, but uh, Haj Malik Williams did not look good in this one. Um, mm-hmm. And and the guys that were really doing damage through the air last week. Mm-hmm. um didn't happen this week. Uh, Malik William, Haj Malik Williams under fifty percent completion percentage, or or right about there, and five and a half yards per attempt. So, uh, you know, co- we talked a little bit about it last week. Campbell's got that weird four game slate where they're going to play three Sun Belt teams, and I believe it's Wake Forest, and that's going to be the end of their season. But uh, Coastal wow. moves to zero oh, and four. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talked about it on the Georgia Southern game. Uh, even when they were ahead, they were saying, you know, these are essentially four money games, and then they're just oh, packing yeah. it in. And and uh, due to rules uh, that are um, obscure to me, FCS teams are only allowed to play four out-of-conference games this year, and if they do so, they can't participate in the spring season coming up. So their season is just over. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, it is dumb. Um, But, you know, that's just how they wanted to play it. Uh, Coastal Carolina in this one moves to two and oh this season, like you, Matt, Matt mentioned. Um, Let's get into the Saturday slate of games. Uh, I know you had to be dying during this game with how uh, close it got. I I mean, go ahead. do Do we have to talk about this one? Yeah, we absolutely have to talk about it. Um, so, so uh, take me kind of through this game. Uh, I really caught like the second half of this one. I was kind of surprised uh, when I saw the score at halftime. Um, but, you know, do you feel like they were that Louisiana was looking ahead to the Georgia Southern game and kind of overlooked Georgia State? Or, or did you think Georgia State really looked that good against your Cajuns? I don't know if it was so much of looking ahead 
as much as it was just being complacent. You know, it, it was it was kind of a thing where, you know, coming off that big win against Iowa State, you know, I, I think our guys kind of walked in with a little bit of a big head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like Coach Napier said, you know, it's human nature that when everybody's congratulating you and patting you on the back, you know, you, you kind of sit back and relax a little bit. And, yep. you know, I think that's exactly what happened. We came out in the first half flat. And Georgia State, especially, you know, Cornelius Quad Brown the fourth, really punched us in the mouth. Uh-huh. And that's when we sat there and said, Oh crap, we gotta do something. Yeah, uh, I think it I think it says a lot about you guys' team that I think a lesser team than Louisiana would have not been able to mount a comeback in this absolutely. game. So I, I do think that shows like a good amount of uh, character in your team and and the ability to kind of not get down and just stay down um but yeah i mean i like i said i was shocked by the the score of this game at one point and i couldn't believe it um but i mean like i said uh, uh, you know good on you guys for being able to to mount a comeback against the panthers yeah you know like, like you said it, it does say a lot about the the character of both our players and our coaching staff and uh you know I think that – and I don't want to discredit Georgia State in any way by saying this because, I mean, they surprised the hell out of me. I think they're going to be a good football team this year. But, you know, I think had we come out playing our regular style of football, I don't think it would have been close. So when you say regular style of football, can you kind of, uh, you know, go into detail on that? Well, and and especially in the first half, you know, we kind of got away from our running game. And that's that's in large credit to Georgia State. You know, their their defensive line was able to plug the holes and not let us get to get our offensive, our run game going. But, you know, we got away from from what we do well. And, you know, we kind of rushed some decisions, made some bad decisions, which forced some which caused some turnovers that Georgia state capitalized on, you know, I I think if you, if you eliminate those, those opportunities and we run the ball the way we normally do, I think we score more points in the first half. And I think, I think, like I said, I don't think it's as close as it was. Gotcha. So uh, basically two running backs kind of stole the show uh, in this one for both Georgia state and Louisiana. Uh, Elijah Mitchell uh, for you guys, I mean, average 10 yards per carry in this one, six, 16 carries, 164 yards, two touchdowns, including the, I believe it was the game-winning score. Um, and then Destin Coates for Georgia State, 34 carries, what, 34 carries, what a workload, 150 yards and a touchdown himself. Um, are you worried at all about you guys' run defense after watching Destin Coates go for 150? Not at all. Um, you know, I think I think them getting 150 yards was a large credit to their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, their 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 offensive line did a good job of of pushing into the second level, uh, which you know is what you have to do in order for your running back to have a good day. And that's exactly what they did. But no, nah, our 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 run defense, our front seven, I'd put our front seven up against anybody in the country. I've I've said that before, and I'd say it again. Um, you know, Farad Gardner, Lorenzo McCaskill, Taylor Humphrey, Zion Hill, Joe Dillon. You know that that's one thing a lot of people aren't talking about. Uh, I, I don't want to be the one to make excuses, but we were missing Joe Dillon on the on the right end of the defensive line. Uh, he was out for you know, undisclosed reasons, but uh, he was um, missing him was huge for us in my opinion. But yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm not worried about our front seven. I'd put our front seven up against any offense in this country. Gotcha. Uh, I did want to just slide this in. When I meant a lesser team uh, would have kind of folded up uh, and given up after getting down, I kind of meant Iowa State. Um, just moving oh. on. <laughs> just, moving, just moving on through these games, uh, you know, 
Louisiana moves to 2-0, 1-0 in Sunbelt play. Georgia State drops to 0-1 and 0-1 in Sunbelt play as well. Uh, let's get to, I mean, kind of a surprising game, in my opinion. Uh, Marshall is able to knock off a former Sunbelt champion or last year's Sunbelt champion in App State. I I mean, when you look at the, the output here, it's one of those things... You know, App State for a long time in Sunbelt play, and, you know, this even extended to when they were beating North Carolina and South Carolina last year, they were just kind of able to bully teams, you know? And it seemed like Marshall was just not having any of that. And, um, you know, I was credit to Marshall. Uh, I I thought they were a good team, but they had only played uh, Eastern Kentucky before this game. So I didn't really know how they stacked up, but they were able to come away with a 10 point win at home against a ranked Appalachian State team. Yeah, you know, credit to Marshall's running game as well as their defense. I mean, Brendan Knox had 28 carries for 138 yards and a score. Uh, so, you know, five yards of carry, that's, that's insane. And then Grant Wells, you know, their, their quarterback, he ran the ball six times for 43 yards on a score. So I think, I think it was a credit to the rushing attack of Marshall, as well as their defense. Their leading tackler was Devonte Beckett. He ended up being the CUSA defensive player of the week Had 16 tackles on the day. Yeah, I, I think what surprised me most, and and this is kind of uh, I alluded to this like when I was la- when I was talking last, you know, App State the last couple years has been content to run the ball down other teams' throat and only kind of make Zach Thomas make enough plays in order to help them win games, and a lot of that going back to last year has has ended up in blowout wins in their favor. You know, you kind of see what happens when you when you're able to take away the running game of App State. You know, Zach Thomas, 22 of 38, 268, uh, one touchdown, one pick. But I mean, his quarterback rating, according to ESPN, was 45.2. I mean, I, I mean, it was let, fine. Yeah, let, let's be totally honest. In, in in this day of college football, and with a team like App State, 22 of 38. Is it that impressive? No. And then, you know, you talk about his rushing ability, the way he can extend games with his feet. He had nine carries for nine yards. So I have a question for you, and I want to ask you this, because if I give my thoughts as a fan of Georgia Southern, I will be labeled um, biased, obviously. As, as a fan of a team that is not directly usually in contention with App, you know, you are as of recently, but not like historically, like that, that animosity is not there. Do you think there's real reason for them to be concerned coming off of this game? Fans of App? Absolutely. And why? Um, because, you know, they, they, App State has won the last, what, four? Some belt titles, um, you know, having having a quarterback with the caliber of Zach Thomas come out and be, for for lack of better word, average, mm-hmm. um, it, against a team that many thought would be a walk in the park for you. Yeah, that's that's discouraging. Um, and then especially the run game. I mean, your leading rusher had. 57 yards on 12 carries. I mean, five yards a carry, that's good. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think App State has put up better numbers, and they've consistently put up better numbers. Uh, you know, they turned the ball over three times. Two times, actually. I'm sorry. Uh, uh-huh. They had two turnovers, which is also uncharacteristic of App State. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got a tune-up game this week with Campbell, but – you know, I, I, yeah, I, I would be concerned if, I, if I'm an App State fan with that game against Campbell and then 11 days after that, you host Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be concerned. So obviously there was no way around this uh, just due to, you know, you get four years of eligibility and then you have to move on. How much do you think this team long term is going to miss Darrington Evans, who now plays for the Tennessee Titans? 
very, very badly. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like you said, any time you have a guy that is a stalwart in your backfield for four years, when he's gone, yeah, that that's impossible to replace. Um, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna take a long time for App to recover from that. Yeah. Uh, so Marshall is able to move to two and zero in their uh, conference USA season. Uh, App State drops to one and one. You know, this is the second straight year that App has gotten a top twenty-five ranking and then immediately lost the next game. So, you know, it, it's one of those things too that's kind of crazy. I either one of the two things is true. Either they kind of didn't think that Marshall was going to bring the kind of challenge to them and were kind of looking forward to Louisiana, uh, or they've taken a step back since last year. Um, because last year's app team that beat like North Carolina, South Carolina, they weren't overlooking anybody. You know, it, it, they took it week to week. And, and who knows how much of that is attributed to the head coaching change. Um, but we'll have to see, you know, what what they're able to do the rest of this year because it's, I mean, it could potentially be, you know, not great uh, moving forward for them. Um, but moving through the rest of Saturday's slate of games, uh, Troy uh, and you and I, I think we both agreed if you got this line before the game of Troy two and a half point favorites to absolutely hammer it. Uh, but oh, yeah. Troy was able to go to, into. Uh, Murfreesboro, I believe it was, 47 to 14 win over the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. I I don't know if there was a more an easier to bet game on Saturday to see coming than it was uh Troy hammering a Middle Tennessee team that had just gotten spanked by Army. So credit to Troy, they were able to put up a ton of points, but what did you kind of see in this game? I mean, to to be completely honest, I didn't watch it. Um, but just from looking at the stat line, I can see a team that started off a little slow, you know, a seven to seven at the end of the first quarter, but then in the second and third, Troy outscored Middle Tennessee 33 to zero. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> what, what else, are, what else are you going to say other than it started off slow with seven to seven and then Troy said, all right, you had your fun. Let, let's kick ass now. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we said it and and there's not I mean, I, I I go ahead and apologize to Troy fans. There's not a lot to talk about in this game just because we said last week going into this one, it was not going to be close. Like both of us in our like preview for this game were like Troy's going to run away with it. It's not going to be close. I believe the line was 4 when we talked about it and it moved to two and a half, which yikes, Vegas. What a mistake. Uh right. but but to to come away with what a thirty three point win, um, I mean, cre- like I said, credit to Troy's offense; they're able to score uh, as much as they want to. Uh, Gunnar Watson looked fairly good. Uh, B.J. Smith was was pretty good in his return, uh, eighty one yards on ten carries, eight point one yards per carry, and uh, Khalil McLean, their leading receiver, six catches, seventy five yards, and two scores. Again, I, I apologize to Troy fans, but we we knew that you guys were going to walk all over Middle Tennessee in this one. So, I mean, good job getting the job done. But I yeah, mean, Middle Tennessee doesn't look very good. Congratulations. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, you know, we'll see what kind of team Troy fields when we get into conference play. Uh, I do expect them to be more competitive this year than they they were last year and less. Uh, peaks and valleys. Uh, so Troy able to move to one and O on the season. Uh, Middle Tennessee State drops to O and two. Uh, the last game of Saturday's slate was Texas State going into Monroe, uh, Louisiana, and coming out with their first win of the season by a thirty-eight seventeen margin. You know, Matt, we we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show. How much do you, of a relief do you think it was for Texas State to be able to get a win in this one, having two, you know, fairly close losses to open the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a huge huge relief for them. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think the coaching staff would be highly unsatisfied because <laughs> I mean, hell, they could be three and zero right now. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, I, I think I think what a discouraging thing is for ULM is can we just talk about how their quarterback went thirty five of fifty three for three hundred and seventy seven yards and two touchdowns, mm-hmm. and they still lost by twenty one. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you, when you look at this game, a lot of that can be attributed to the lack of a running game. Uh, Josh Johnson, Monroe's running back, uh, led the team with 51 yards, but he, but he had 17 carries. So he averaged like three yards uh, per, nice. per, per carry. I mean, this goes back to last year when they had Caleb Evans. Caleb Evans, a lot of these games was their re- leading rusher. You know, he was having to do both. And you know, Colby Suits, at least from from the numbers that I've seen, is more of a pocket guy than Caleb Evans, who was who was dual threat and was able to do both. So when you just don't have a running game, yeah, you do have to air it out 53 times, but right. it wasn't overly efficient. I mean, his his receiving options are fine, but they're not there that you wouldn't say that they're one of the better units in the Sun Belt. So, I mean, who knows? You know, I want to ask you a question. You know, talking about Texas State, Brady McBride played fairly well against SMU in game one and has been hurt the last two weeks. Uh, And so Tyler Vitt has stepped in to to replace him. And in those two games, you know, he's looked fairly consistent. Uh, I I think he's got close to 600 yards in those two games. And then in this win... He ran the ball eleven times for eighty-two yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. What I want to what I want to ask you is, in your opinion, after the two performances that Tyler Vitt has put up, is he the starting quarterback going forward? It, it's hard to say because obviously he has more of a sample size to go off of than Brady McBride does at this point. Um, watching the game that Texas State I had had against SMU and watching Brady McBride, he seemed to try to do way too much uh, on any given play. Like sometimes instead of just throwing the ball away, he would try to scramble and do a bunch of things that clearly weren't going to work. I think Tyler Vitt, his biggest issue last year was consistency. And if, if they can, if the rest of the team around him can provide him with some of that, I think that he could definitely be, the the starter for this team for the rest of the year the the problem is you know again mcbride was this big transfer coming in so i i think it would be tough to to look at him and say hey man we appreciate you coming out but uh this guy who's been on our team for the last couple years is actually going to start for us uh while because you're injured and he kind of wally pipped you and took your job um but I mean, I, I like how under control Vit has been in the two games he's played. Uh, like I said, McBride almost looked like the Tasmanian Devil behind the line of scrimmage uh, for them in Week One. So, I mean, at the, if if he keeps putting up performances like this and they keep winning, I think Vit just has to be your quarterback. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with you. But again, you know, you, you talk about Brady McBride and you know the the Wally Pitt thing. Isn't it kind of funny that McBride, Wally pipped Tyler Vitt, and is now just going to kind of return the favor? I don't know that he Wally pipped Vitt. Uh, Wally Pip got his job taken because he was out with an injury, and I believe it was it was either Lou Gehrig or Mickey Mantle stepped in and started that day, and then he just never gave up the role. I think Vitt just got outplayed in camp by McBride, or. You know, the the coach looked at McBride coming in and said, you know, you're this big transfer from uh, Memphis. You know, you're going to be our guy because we went through the paces of trying to get you on our team. And in the end, it just looks like we we wrote the fat check to get you down here. Yeah. And 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 it's just one of those things like, you know, maybe McBride's better in practice. Uh, than Vit is, and that's the reason he was able to win the job. Maybe it has something to do with like a promise uh, that Spavadol made uh, to uh, McBride to get him down there. But I, I mean, I'm sorry. Until Vit, you know, really implodes, I, I think it has to be Vit. I, I don't think there's another way you can just pivot right back to McBride because what if what if you put McBride in next week? Or, or the next game they play, and he just implodes, and you've got Vitt sitting over there on the bench like, told you so. 
Right. So, so I mean, what? How can you pivot at this point back to a guy who it's like you don't know what he's going to give you versus Vit? Like we said, the last two weeks has been pretty good. Yeah, I, I think you gotta you gotta do you gotta stick with Vit until Vit gives you a reason not to. Right. Absolutely. Uh, UL Monroe side of things, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, not a whole not a whole lot to write home about in this one. Uh, Perry, Perry Carter Jr. Led the team eight catches, 98 yards. Um, you know, I, I think UL Monroe is this year's Texas State. So, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things where you're, you're kind of looking through their slate of games, trying to find some games where they're going to be able to eke one out. Um, you know, maybe they are able to get it done this weekend uh, when they play. Or, uh, yeah, this weekend when they play UTEP uh, at home. Um but, you know, with the way that the rest of the conference is shaping up at this point, I mean, their only other out-of-conference game is at Liberty uh, the weekend of October 10th. But then the teams that would normally be a shoe-in win, like a South Alabama or a Georgia State, they look like they are competitive this year. So I'm having a hard time finding more than maybe one win on the schedule for UL Monroe, provided, yeah. you know, some major change doesn't happen. Um, but it's going to be a tough season in Monroe for sure. It's always a tough season in Monroe. You're, you're in Monroe. Is that the version of it's always sunny in Philadelphia? It's always a tough Absolutely. season in Monroe. Yeah, it's all it's always gloomy in Monroe. That could that so, could be a show. So, uh, uh, finishing up this this week this past weekend of games, Texas State wins their first game, moves to one and two, including one and zero in Sunbelt play. UL Monroe drops to zero and two, including zero and one in Sunbelt play. Uh, just to mention this game briefly that didn't take place, uh, Georgia Southern was supposed to host Florida Atlantic. Uh, Florida Atlantic, I believe it was a day or two before the game, came out and said they had a bunch of positive COVID cases, including an entire position group uh, that got knocked out with COVID. So that game has been tentatively postponed to sometime in December, I last saw. I don't know if they've settled on a date or not, um, but I believe it's like the first or second weekend of December. Uh, so we may be able to talk about that game down the line, but otherwise we're just going to move on. Um, so getting into this weekend of games, uh, we've got a few more updated li- uh, betting lines than we did when we recorded last week. So let's get into the game taking place on Thursday night. Uh, tomorrow night, we are scheduled, we're uh, recording this on Wednesday. South Alabama hosts UAB. Um, you know, at this point, UAB is a seven-point favorite. Uh it's tough. UAB really hasn't played a team on their level so far this year, so it's it's kind of tough to gauge where they're at. They beat Central Arkansas by 10 points in the opener and lost to Miami by 17. But Miami has proven to be a really good football team. Um, so, I mean, I guess to play it safe, I would take the Blazers here, but I wouldn't be surprised if South Alabama kept this one closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, you know, as a... As a UL fan, you know, I'm cheering for UAB strictly because, you know, I want them to be on high of cloud nine as possible when we go to Birmingham and beat them. But, you know, as a also as a UL fan, I'm cheering for my conference mate and I want South Alabama to pull out the win. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tied in that one. But, you know, I think South Al being at home, Desmond Trotter, you know, having the start to the season that he's having to go along with, you know, three stud receivers in Mobile. UAB might be a seven point favorite, but I'm I'm gonna take the Jags in this one. If I was to bet this game, I think I would take the over of uh forty seven and a half. Absolutely. I think both I think both of these teams can score points in bunches. Uh, I wouldn't really touch the line because I could I could definitely see a backdoor cover at the end of the game. Like, let's say South Alabama's down nine points and they drive and score a touchdown with like a minute left in the game. Well, then it's a two-point game, but it wasn't ever really as close as it looks on the scoreboard. So I, I, I wouldn't touch this line for either team, but I would definitely hammer the over of 47 and a half. Um, but you have UAB winning this one, correct? Ideally, yes, but I, I I think South Alabama might pull it out. Okay. 
All right. Well, we'll have to see what kind of team uh, UAB is. Like I said, they really haven't played someone to their level yet. They've played an FCS team. They've played a Power 5 school that's proven to be, what, a top 15 team this year in Miami. So, you know, we'll see how it how it all pans out. Uh, getting into the Saturday slate of games, uh, a Sunbelt contest between my Georgia Southern Eagles and your Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Um I'm having a hard time finding something positive to say about the Eagles at this point. The only thing that I can think of is that because the Florida Atlantic game was canceled, they've had two weeks to study Louisiana. Outside of that, I, I mean, they, like you said, they get Wesley Kennedy back, but you know, who, I don't know how many points, you know, of a swing that is in the grand scheme of things when your offensive line's not great. So I think Louisiana wins this game by at least two touchdowns. I don't. I don't see it be, being as close as even the line oh, thinks. Oh, Brian, I'm so scared of this game. I, I really see. I that's really... the thing is like, I let give me give me a reason why you're scared of this game, and I will tell you why I don't think you have any reason to be afraid. I am scared because you guys were missing a third of your roster in mm-hmm. that bad performance against Campbell. So you've got a third of your guys coming back, including guys like Wesley Kennedy. And um, was JD King out for that Campbell game? No, he played in the Campbell he game. Played. Okay. Um, you know, you're, you're getting, you're getting some talented guys back and you know, it, it's one of those things where since you guys didn't get to play last week, you're well rested, you're healthy, you're angry, you're ready to play football. We've got the antibodies. Um, you got the antibodies. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, whatever works, man. But you know, and and another thing is, is Georgia Southern has a history of playing, you know, at a higher level when you're playing against a ranked opponent. The the thing that gives me a lot of pause, and I know people who don't really listen to this podcast for Georgia Southern analysis, uh, get tired of me kind of repeating myself. The two things that give me a lot of pause is number one, our offensive line play in the last two seasons, going back to the beginning of 2019 through, you know, week one of this year has not been great. They've had flashes where they were able to put some things together and look good. Overall, they, a lot of times they seem lost and they don't really know like who to block on any given play. And number two, I mean, our offensive coordinator, Bob DeBess, you never know if he's going to have a game like last year when we played app. He really like went outside of his comfort zone because he felt like that was, I guess, a game that they desperately needed to win. However, when we played you guys in, I think it was week three or week two of last year, he did none of that. So who knows if he's going to decide to mix it up and try to do some things or if he's just going to. I'll just run the ball up the middle first two plays of the opening series, and then we'll chuck it long on third and eight, and then we'll punt. Well, you can't do that against a team like Louisiana. And another thing I'm worried about is that you guys are going to have a healthy shy words this year. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. healthy last year. Well, that uh, it, he it was a combination of that. It was it was that weird thing with the traffic stop where yeah the, the off field issues right yeah yeah. So I mean, he didn't play in like the opener that we had last year uh, against LSU. Not that it really mattered, but I mean, he didn't play until week two, I believe. So he missed like the he missed like the first game of the season. I just until Georgia Southern's defense and offensive line give me a reason to be optimistic about the way they look, if if Levi Lewis can throw the ball to his own players, I think you guys kind of kind of got this one in the bag. Like I, I'm not trying to be overly negative. I just don't see they're not a better team than Louisiana at this stage. So God, I, I mean, hope you're right. I mean, that's just the way I kind of see it, and and it's like they even though they had eight starters out against Campbell, they can't they could not stop Campbell from throwing the ball. Well, you just saw what Campbell did against Coastal Carolina. So that might be what kind of team Campbell actually is versus the, you know, 33 players out type deal. Right. Um, so moving along, another noon kick. Uh, App State welcomes Campbell. Uh, maybe a get right game here uh, for the, the Mountaineers coming off of that loss to the thundering herd of Marshall. Um I think App is going to come out angry in this one. There's not a betting line because they're playing an FCS team, but I think they come out angry in this one. I think the final score looks a little similar to the Coastal Campbell game from last week. Yeah, 
uh, 42-21 kind of matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, Campbell, I, th- I think Campbell's offense is capable, especially with their with their running game. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're going to put points on the board. Yeah. It's just, it's just a matter of how many. The one thing that Campbell does have going for them, uh, it didn't help last week uh, just because, you know, Costa was putting up points in bunches. Campbell's offensive line is massive. Like, they have a bunch of uh, transfers from – uh, the power five and group of five schools. So they have guys that average, I think their smallest player is their center. And he's like 270 pounds. Like their tackles are each like 315. So, so they have like, they almost have a pro sized offensive line. Now, how much that I is, think that's going to help against app. I don't know. That is a massive human being. Yeah. So, I, I mean, when your smallest player in at the FCS level, your smallest offensive lineman's 270 pounds, you're doing pretty well on the offensive yeah. line. Um, I just, I, I think it's the talent disparity once again. I think App, like I said, is going to come out angry. You can say what you want about last week's game. They did only allow 17 points uh, to, to Marshall in that loss. Uh, but I think, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I agree with you. I think it's going to be like a three touchdown deficit type of game. Um, but moving through, we got one more, uh, noon kick on Saturday, Georgia state plays Charlotte, which is an interesting game because we talked about this week two. uh, Charlotte kept it close with app for a long time. Uh, when they, t- when they played each other, uh, Georgia state, Maybe a little bit of a, a, a letdown spot just because, you know, they did kind of have Louisiana on the ropes there for a little bit and kind of let him slip. Typically, teams that get into a spot like this the following week are a little deflated. So do you think there's any chance Charlotte is able to upset Georgia State in this one? Not a chance. I mean, may, maybe. I think I'd take that back. Maybe. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Charlotte looked pretty good for three quarters against App. So, yeah, I, I think there's a shot. But man, Georgia State surprised the hell out of me on Saturday. Uh, Cornelius Brown is going to have a great four-year career at Georgia State. Um, Destin Coates is one of the best running backs in the conference. Their defensive line owned Louisiana's offensive line for probably three quarters of that game. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that Charlotte has a shot but they're going to have to come out early and punch Georgia State in the mouth early if, if they want a chance to win the ballgame. Does it give you any pause a little bit uh, that as good as Georgia State looked last week that they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites over a Charlotte team like this? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, I, I don't really know. That That's a, that's an interesting question, but um, – you know, again, I, I I gained a lot of respect for Georgia State when when we played them on Saturday because they were a much better football team than I could have ever projected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm I'm not really sure, but again, like I like I said, if Charlotte wants to win, they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to score early and often. I think the over, as far as betting goes, is an interesting one in this game. Uh, when you look at yeah, it's 58, but when you look at like if you look at Charlotte and Georgia State's defenses the past two games or the past game that each team has played, they're all they're each allowing roughly 500 and something yards of total offense to opposing teams. Like App ran for 308 yards against Charlotte. So I think there's going to be a lot of house calls by like Destin Coates and Quad Brown, like you said. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Georgia State go up big and Charlotte just kind of chip away. So I, I even I think the the overs a little high, but there were some games last year, and I'm not saying that Brown is this type of quarterback as Ellington was, but there were some games last year when you look at the Georgia State over, and no matter what the number was, you were just like, I'll take it. I'll take the over because they were, you know, they were going to score points and their defense wasn't, wasn't elite. So it, it felt pretty safe doing that. Um, I'm going to hesitantly take Georgia state in this one. Uh, I could like definitely see a, uh, a kind of a letdown after letting Louisiana slip off the hook last week. But um, so this one's tough to talk about Uh 330 kick. Uh, UL Monroe hosts UTEP. Uh, UTEP somehow has already played th- They've already played three games this year somehow. 
um, which I didn't think was possible in 2020 with COVID and everything, but they've made it happen. Um, UTEP, another team that's tough to tell. They've beaten, I believe it's two FCS programs to start the season, and then they got shellacked by Texas uh, in week two. So do you th- I think UL Monroe gets their first win this week. Uh, they're nine and a half point favorites. I think at the very least, this is their best shot to pick up a win this year, just looking at the okay. schedule. So looking at UTEP's three games, they've beaten SFA by 10. Right. They got murdered by Texas. Right. And then they beat Abilene Christian by four. Yeah. So what I have to ask is if Monroe, who has just been an awful team so far this year, mm-hmm. if they if they are a 10-point favorite, what does that say about your program if you are UTEP? I think it says that you were lucky to get two FCS games in uh, 2020 uh, because you may not win another game after after that the rest of the year, to be quite honest. Maybe, but here's the thing, man. I mean, Gavin Hardison, the the quarterback for UTEP, I mean, granted, two FBS, two FCS opponents and then Texas, but his stat line on the year so far is 44 of 80 for 548 yards. Okay, uh, so so just saying that, I have a question for you. What does it say about UTEP that they've won two games, but in the two games they've won, they haven't scored more than 24 points in either game this year? Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what does that say about their opponents? Well, they're FCS programs. That's what it yeah. says. They're, they're not, yeah. I, I mean, you know, they're, they're FCS programs where if they were a group of five team and... You know, UTEP starting this weekend, I believe they don't, yeah, they don't play another FCS program the rest of the year. I mean, they could finish two and whatever, um, depending on how many games they end up playing. But I just don't, I have a hard time finding another, you know, I don't, I don't keep up with Conference USA as closely as I do the Sun Belt clearly, but they don't, I don't see another easy layup win for them this year. So this, this proves my theory and a lot of theories that, you know, Raging Cajun Nation has that Kusa outside of you know the top three, three teams. Kusa's a terrible conference. It's hard. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's I I definitely don't think that conference is as deep as they want it to appear on the surface when you look and, at it. And you know we we had you know Louisiana really is not sitting well with Louisiana Tech because of their, well, now former athletic director's comments about us coming to CUSA and it being a step up. Right, yeah. I mean, those, that, that comment's asinine, dude. Yeah. We we had the uh, Aikman uh, Chambers, uh, the former App State writer for Underdog Dynasty, had we had this discussion last year where we were trying to chalk up where the Sun Belt sat with the other group of five conferences. And at the time, you know, we were looking at it and, and now with those comments, that's kind of funny because we were sitting there going, I mean, Sunbelt's probably the second best or third best group of five conference and Conference USA is probably like last. They're last. I mean, it's either them or what Mountain West that you would put last. I mean, that's that's kind of what you got. Yeah, I, I would say in that regard, I would probably say that the Sunbelt's probably the second best behind mm-hmm. behind the american um and then in third i'd probably venture to say the mac maybe yeah it's it's that's tough because they're not they might not play a season this year so you're just right. going off of what what they did last year uh you know, last year, what I thought the second best uh, or third best group of five uh, conference was? Yeah. Uh, it was the ACC without Clemson. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, so uh, let's get into the next game on the slate. Uh, Texas State heads to Boston College. Uh you know, Texas State has been a frisky team this year, has been able to score points. Uh, Boston College was able to go into Duke last weekend and pull out a 26-6 to win. Um, you know, I, I think I like 
Boston College's team a lot more than I did last year uh, when it was essentially, you know, A.J. Dillon and the boys was was the best way for me to put it. Yeah, uh, A.J. Dillon and 10 other guys. Well, so I, I listened to uh, a podcast going into draft season this year, and A.J. Dillon was like one of the few running backs in the country to have, I can't remember the number of carries, but his targets out of the backfield, he had like 16 targets all last year, like, and had probably close to like 250 carries, which was like one of the craziest stats I had <laughs> I had heard last year. Wow. Um but Boston College, you know, Phil Jerkovic, uh, their quarterback who had come in, uh, played pretty well last week in the win over Duke. You know, 17 of 23, 300 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, completed 74% of his passes. I mean, what can you say? I, I think Boston College rolls in this one. I think Texas State is able to score maybe 17 points here and there. Um, but I think Boston College is a fairly good ACC team this year, considering the way that 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 uh, conference sits right now, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think Boston College rolls. But do you think there's any chance Texas State's able to to upset BC? I do actually. Interesting. Um, granted, I don't know much about Boston College. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I stick to the the Sun Belt and then you know top twenty five football. So yeah. you know, I don't I don't know much about Boston College, but you know. <sighs> Just, just the performances that Texas State has been able to string together with, you know, Jeremiah Haydell and Tyler Vitt. Uh, you know, if if Boston College has just one crack in their secondary, I think Texas State's going to be able to exploit it. And you know, I I don't know if Texas State wins, but I will say that I think that an eighteen point line is a little uh, might be might be a little far fetched. Yeah, I, I think Boston College uh, has kind of changed the way that their offense has run uh, since last year. I believe they fired their coach at the end of last year, um, but they are less run oriented so far through the one game they've played than they have been in years past um, when they've had that big bruising running back in the backfield. Um, but I think there's a couple players that Texas State has to account for. Uh, and one is Zay Flowers, the receiver for Boston College, but the other is the tight end, Hunter Long. Uh, each of these guys had over 90 yards receiving last week and a touchdown each. Um, you know, Zay Flowers, like I said, five catches, 162 and a score. I think if I think if Texas State does one of their, you know, we lost contain of this person type of plays against Flowers and, and the tight end, I, I think this one could go sideways in a hurry. Uh, so it's all going to come down to how Texas State's defense plays because I know their offense can produce. I just am not sure about what their defense is going to give you. Yeah, you know that's the that's the interesting thing. Um, you know that's that that that's the thing that's going to be tricky. Like I said, uh, you know Boston College is clearly the favorite, and I think that's in large part due to their conference. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas State kept it super close, maybe even pulling out a win. Okay. Um, so going to the final game uh, uh, with the Sunbelt team oh, in yeah. of the night, 10-15 Eastern time kick. Uh, it's going to be a tough game, I think, for Troy, you know, for multiple reasons. But number one, you know, Troy's on central time. It's still a 9-15 p.m. start. Uh, so everyone may want to catch a nap before this game. Uh, Troy travels to Provo to take on BYU. Uh, BYU has not played since Labor Day weekend, uh, which seems forever ago. Uh, they beat Navy in the opener uh, 55 to three and then had the game against Army postponed. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a tough game for Troy. I think B BYU is is a very good team this year. So I, I have a hard time finding a way that Troy is able to go into Provo and win this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, B, like you said, BYU does look to be a phenomenal team this year. Um, but, you know, I, I think Troy's no slouch, which is why, which is why Vegas only put the line at 14 um, with a, with an over under of 61. Yeah. Jesus. Well, I think they know that if uh, it, BYU is weirdly one of those teams where if they 
if they feel like they have control of the game, they'll keep their foot on the gas the whole time. They don't, they don't like take the foot off the gas just because they have a lead. Like they'll put up 60 points for no reason. <laughs> so right. it's not, it's not as if they had any animosity against Navy. It was just like, they don't stop. So I think when you have something like that, it's, it's tough when, you know, it's, there's another team coming in and, and BYU's defense. I mean, granted it was Navy. Navy doesn't look to, to be great this year, but I mean, their defense looked fantastic in that opener uh, on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, it, it, for sure. Granted, Navy probably going to be terrible this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, B- BYU, like I, like you said, they're definitely a good football team. Their football team is going to give a lot of teams some trouble this year. Um, Troy is no exception. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I think one thing that's really going to bother Troy is, like you mentioned, it's a nine fifteen start. Yeah, I mean they're they're going to be sitting around in a hotel room like, okay, you know, what 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 do we do now? Um, so I think I think that's that's bad for the psyche. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's definitely not going to be good from a mental standpoint. Uh, yeah, I I think BYU is going to end up being way too much to handle for Troy. Uh, the one thing that I think has Troy has going for it, if they can figure out, and and this is one thing I noticed when I watched BYU play Navy uh, over Labor Day weekend, they BYU runs roughly, I want to say like ten plays. Now they'll dress it up and make it look like something other than it is with pre-snap motion or you know fake handoffs to like a wide receiver that's coming across or or something like that, but they kind of just run like a number of plays that are all very similar. However, it'll be like out of a shotgun versus an eye formation, or it'll be like a single back and and a, you know, a pistol or whatever. So it's, if Troy can kind of lock in on those plays and, and, you know, kind of take down the window dressing that BYU puts on it and figure out what BYU is doing. I think they have a shot to win. However, like I said, I think BYU is just just a better team. I mean, to be yeah. honest, it, yeah. it's not a it's not a huge stretch to say that number eighteen team in the country is better than Troy. Um, but uh, so that will essentially do it for this weekend of Sun Belt games. You know, Matt, what are you kind of looking for in this weekend coming up? And tell folks where they can find you on social media. Man, you know. <laughs> Personally, I, I'm looking for a better performance out of my Cajuns, um, just because you know the past two games, albeit both wins, you know they they weren't very, um, you know, they weren't very exciting. They weren't very positive. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely looking for a better performance, and just all around looking for good football. Mm-hmm. You know, it it just it felt like it's been so long since we've had football and now that it's back and games are really starting to heat up you know the sec comes back this weekend um so you know college football is about to get into the thick of it and Mm -hmm. uh i'm excited man and the and the big 10 announced they're coming back too uh so god so we have four of the five power five conferences now at least you know scheduled to start at a certain date so yeah it does that clown conference (laughs) <laughs> that's been, that has been such a joke they could make a reality tv show about what has gone down in the big 10 it, it's ridiculous man do you think if they made a reality tv show um about the pac 12 that it would just be a bunch of people sitting around going do you want to play football this year eh, i don't know Maybe. Yeah. yeah right right but you see the the if, if you made a show about the big 10 Oh yeah, you know football's coming. Oh wait, we can't play. We're all gonna die if we play. Oh, but you know all, all these schools are playing. Why can't we play? Yeah. And then you know, oh, M- Mr. President. Oh, do you want us to play? Okay, we'll play. We'll play. <laughs> like, come, come on, man. <laughs> what a joke. It's a it's a very tough look uh, for for that conference uh, to have announced so early that they weren't going to play and having the Pac-12 follow their lead. And, you know, the, like I said, the Pac-12 has got that whole thing about players want like this and that and, and all this right. other stuff and, and have all these conditions that they're like, these have to be met in order for us to take the field. 
But, no, buddy, this is not the NFL. Well, the Big Ten, the crazy thing is you got a team like Nebraska who's like, we're going to sue the Big Ten. And then you notice it's like if if Ohio State and Michigan and these bigger teams get on the train, then, then the train starts moving. But when you've got teams like Indiana and Nebraska are like, we want to play football, the Big Ten's like, yeah, okay, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, that is pretty much going to do it for this edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Matt, tell all the folks at home where they can find you on social media. You can find me on all platforms at Matt, and then you can find my UL podcast, Rage and Review, on social media at Rage and Review. And uh, as for me, Brian, you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. We will be back next week for another recap of the Sunbelt Games of the Weekend.